everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I'm joined in the studio by my producer, Joel. And today, we are covering one of the most haunted houses in the United States, and potentially even the world. And that is the Sally House, located at 508 North 2nd Street in Atchison, Kansas. Ever since a conflicted doctor botched a simple surgery and took the life of a young girl in the late 1800s, the Sally House has never been the same. Plagued by a poltergeist disguised as a young girl, the demonic presence tricks people into trusting them before clawing open their skin. This house honestly truly terrifies me. I've never even been there. Yeah, same. But just hearing the stories and the immense amount of footage Mm. evidence out there, pretty much every ghost hunting show out there has visited the Sally House at least once or twice. Not only that, pretty much every paranormal company that conducts an investigation at the Sally House witnesses a wide range of different paranormal activity. But before we get into the haunting history of the Sally House, I quickly wanted to remind everybody that merch is currently down right now. We're working to get a new merch website put back up, which I'll be bringing back, I think, most of the designs that we had from our last collection just because they were so popular. And many of you have asked to buy these designs. So I'm going to be bringing all of that back, hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. I can get the shop back up and I'll let you know when that's ready. Also, my company, Higher Love Wellness, we just launched pet products out there. So if you've never tried CBD for your cat or dog, it is an amazing, amazing thing for them. I mean, for animals that are older in age or have arthritis, joint pain, inflammation, CBD can really help alleviate a lot of that. And not only that, for those dogs out there like mine that are very anxious and never seem to calm down or just chill, CBD at the very least is just going to help mellow out your dog or cat and help them have a very good sleep. So we have both a chicken flavored oil and an unflavored oil, which is great too. You can either drop it on their tongue if they'll let you, but an easier way to do it is just drop it on their food. We also have some oatmeal dog treats as well, which all the dogs really, really love. So not only that, we have a wide range of human products as well, including gummies. We have topicals. We have oils. We have CBD dabs, which I tried to demo on the last episode of Lights Out and YouTube did not like that at all. <laughs> no. They uh, shut me down for that uh, as far as, you know, monetization goes and just really limited the reach of my last episode. So I won't be doing that anymore, unfortunately. But again, all that's out there at higherlovewellness.com. And as a Lights Out listener, you get 10% off with code Lights Out at checkout. Everything's made here in Colorado. It's some of the best stuff out there. So if you haven't tried it, go check it out. But this episode of Lights Out is also brought to you by Bloom Nutrition, Embark, and Native. More on them later. But let's just go ahead and dive right in to the very dark story of the Sally House. So the Sally House was built in the 1870s in Atchison, Kansas, which is about 50 miles northwest of Kansas City. It sits on a quiet suburban street just a few blocks from the Missouri River. And anyone who passes by would think it's just another regular old house. It's a 1,200-square-foot, mid-century home with three bedrooms and two bathrooms. Initially, the house was built for Michael C. Finney and his family, and they actually lived in the basement while the house was under construction. After it was finished, the Finney family lived there off and on until 1947. And although it looks 
like a very regular house. Its history tells a very different story. From the time it was built up until today, there have been many kinds of paranormal activity witnessed inside the Sally House. And since the 1990s, it's gained worldwide attention for the supernatural events that have plagued its history. Many of the stories involve a young girl named Sally, which obviously makes sense since it's called the Sally House. But the list of hauntings is endless. Within the walls of the house, paranormal energy thrives, and people from all over the world have come to see the haunting for themselves. But many are warned that the mystical presence inside can be violent at times, especially when men occupy the home. When visitors ask why men are targeted, all they have to do is take a look into the house's history. What's really interesting is that the home is referred to as the Sally House, although there is little evidence of a girl named Sally ever living in the town of Atchison, which there have been anthropology professors who've done extensive research into the history of Atchison, and they claim that there is absolutely no record of a girl named Sally ever living in the town. But in the old Huron Cemetery, which is one of the oldest cemeteries in the town, paranormal investigators found a weathered headstone. The etchings in the stone were unreadable, but they looked into the cemetery records to find out who it belonged to. Plot 1, 4th Row West, lies a girl by the name of Sally Isabel. So, there's obviously a conflict here. Many people claim that there was never a girl named Sally that lived in the town, but according to these paranormal investigators, they think otherwise. So many paranormal investigators believe that this is the girl that the house is named after. There's an endless supply of stories and legends that gave the house its haunted reputation. Although many of them are difficult to prove, most begin with the Finney family in the late 1800s. Charles Finney was a local doctor in the town of Atchison. He operated a doctor's office out of the house's first floor. He had spent some time converting it into a waiting room, an office, and an operating room. Charles and his wife lived on the second floor while he operated his doctor's office on the main level. He saw many patients through the years. Many of them had a common cold or back pain, and he usually sent anyone with an emergency to the nearest hospital. But that all changed when Charles heard a knock on his door in the middle of the night. Charles sprang out of bed and scrambled out of his second-story bedroom. As the banging on the front door continued, his wife woke up as well. But he was like, shh, shh, it's okay. Go back to sleep. When Charles got to the front door and opened it, Charles recognized the woman immediately. It was his old African-American housemaid who he had an affair with years ago. The woman screamed that her six-year-old daughter was suffering from severe stomach pain and needed to be treated immediately. When he looked down at the little girl squirming in pain, he noticed it was his daughter, Sally. She had been born from the affair all those years ago, but they had kept it a secret. The woman asked if she could take Sally to the hospital instead, but Charles insisted that there wasn't enough time. Sally looked like she was in critical condition and needed medical attention as soon as possible. This was true. But Charles was also afraid of something else. If he took Sally to the hospital, he thought his unfaithfulness to his wife would be exposed. If he brought in an interracial child that looked almost exactly like him, people would start asking questions, and his life would be ruined. So to keep the affair secret, Charles took the little girl into his office and ran a few tests on her. 
It didn't take long for him to discover that she had appendicitis and her appendix was about to burst. This was rare for six-year-olds, but not unheard of. And Charles knew that it could lead to death in some cases if it went untreated for too long. And supposedly the girl had been in pain for a number of hours. So the doctor decided to immediately operate on her. But there was another major problem. As Charles rushed Sally into the operating room and later down on the table, he didn't allow enough time for the anesthetics to take effect. Plus, he wasn't qualified to perform this kind of surgery. Sally lied down on the operating table still conscious. Her eyes were wide open, and the anesthesia had barely hit her bloodstream. And she watched Dr. Finney as he pulled out a scalpel out of his pocket. Sally didn't know what to do, and her mother was trapped in the waiting room on the other side of the door. Surely Dr. Finney could see that she was still awake, but he didn't care. He pulled up her shirt, revealing her stomach. He pointed the sharp scalpel right at her appendix before pushing it down into her skin. As the small knife cut into her, she screamed from the intense pain and flung herself around on the table. She didn't know what hurt more, the appendicitis or the scalpel cutting through her skin while she was still conscious. She squirmed in pain and kicked her heels down into the operating table. Sally's mother listened to the horror on the other side of the wall as her child screamed bloody murder. Charles couldn't get the situation under control, and after Sally writhed in pain for several minutes, she soon stopped vocalizing her pain. Her energy drained out of her as the blood pooled onto the operating table. He searched through her abdomen several times and tried to find her appendix, but he couldn't. Sally's body went limp as more and more blood poured out of her stomach. There was so much blood and carnage that Charles couldn't see anything clearly as he reached around her intestines. The little girl's abdomen had been destroyed, and soon Sally lost all of her strength as she quickly bled out. Charles scrambled around the operating room trying everything he could to seal her wounds, but it was too late. Sally lied on the operating table lifeless. Her skin had turned white and her eyes rolled to the back of her head. Sally's mother watched in horror as Charles came out of the operating room covered in blood. He wiped his hands with a towel and stared at the floor, saying nothing. Many believed Charles had botched the surgery, possibly on purpose, but he argued that her appendix had already burst before he had started the surgery. Charles was arrested soon after this and stripped of his medical license, but the legend of Sally lives on. The horrific events of that night put a permanent stain on the house, and since then, the paranormal energy left behind has continued to haunt its occupants for generations. It's believed that Sally's ghost now haunts the house, especially the room where she died, and any room that has been turned into a nursery for children. She specifically targets men because of her final moments, as she was cut open by the knife of Dr. Charles Finney. After the tragedy, the other Finney family members continued living in the house for several more decades. Three of the Finney family members died in the house of natural causes, but many believe they were killed by Sally's spirit. After the Finneys no longer lived in the home, a single woman moved in, and she experienced almost no paranormal activity in the house for 40 years. After her, another woman and her three children lived in the home for about eight months. One of her daughters actually had an imaginary friend named Sally, but she didn't think much of it. Her daughter said, though, that she always felt like she was being watched, and she even claimed that Sally had started a fire in one of the bedrooms where there was no candle or electrical outlet nearby. Luckily, they were never harmed during the short time they rented the house, and many suspect it was because the tenants were mostly women, so the paranormal presence was more comfortable with them. 
But soon, that all changed when a man entered the house and settled in. A couple by the name Tony and Debbie Pickman were recently married and pregnant with their first child, named Taylor. When they moved into the Sally house in December of 1992, it looked like the perfect dream home to raise their family. But they didn't realize what they were getting into. They had no idea the dark energy poured from the corners of the house because it wasn't obvious on the surface. To them, it just looked like a perfectly average two-story home. It had a kitchen, a living room, and enough bedrooms to have more children if they wanted. But this was the first time in nearly 40 years that a man had occupied the property. The demonic presence could sense him from the first moment he stepped through the front door. And within the first month of living there, they noticed strange things starting to happen. Luckily, there was nothing that caused concern for the time being, though. They noticed small things like dimming lights and cold spots in random areas of the house. But every time they experienced something out of the ordinary, they just shrugged it off. It was an old home, so they figured the dimming lights and cold spots were just electrical problems or lousy insulation. They had no idea that these small, insignificant things were far more tame than what was to come. They ignored the strange events and continued settling into their new home. They had a baby on the way, after all, so they had bigger things to focus on compared to dimming lights and small drafts of cold wind. After moving in, they began work on one of the second-story bedrooms and slowly converted it into a nursery. This was when they noticed the strange events started happening more frequently, and the nursery became the focal point of paranormal energy. Sometimes electronics would turn off or malfunction whenever they were close to the nursery, or the landline would drop calls unexpectedly. The family dog would even show his teeth, and he seemed to growl at nothing at all in the nursery. But the more he growled at nothing, the more Tony and Debbie suspected he could see something that they couldn't. He was usually mellow and easygoing, so it was strange seeing him aggressive for no reason at all. After about a week, the dog stopped growling and they figured he just was getting used to his new environment. Tony and Debbie began hearing noises coming from the room, creaking, tapping, and scratching. It wasn't just the usual sounds of an old house. It sounded like some sort of creature manifested itself in the nursery when they weren't looking. The sound of furniture moving across the floor made Tony and Debbie rush to the nursery to see what it was. But when they looked in, everything was just how they left it. In the mornings, neighbors would come by and ask why they left the lights in the nursery on all night. Tony and Debbie would look at each other very confused, as they didn't know what to say because they never left the nursery lights on at night. When they would go to the room to check, the lights would be off just like they had left it but the neighbors insisted that the lights were on for more than one night. On one evening, Tony and Debbie were getting back from a family dinner. Debbie's sister Karen had come back with them to visit for a while. At one point in the night, Karen had gone upstairs to check out the nursery when she noticed the dolls in the room had fallen from the shelves and formed a mysterious circle in the middle of the room. It looked as if the dolls and stuffed animals were performing a seance. When Karen asked Debbie and Tony why they put the dolls on the ground, they told her it wasn't them. It was something or someone else that had moved the dolls. After they set the dolls back in their proper place, they turned the nursery lights off and went back downstairs. But when Debbie went up to the nursery later that same night, she found a teddy bear lying in the center of the room, and the lights were on. The next day, one of Tony's brothers came over to take a picture of the bear and they all went up to the nursery where the bear was still on its back. 
As he pointed the camera and looked through the viewfinder, the bear quickly spun around on the carpet, and everyone went into immediate panic, as they didn't know what to do or who to contact about this. So they figured the best thing to do was document what happened in the house from here on out. And many skeptics suggested that Tony's brother played a prank on them. But the strange events continued night after night. Sometimes they heard the disembodied voice of a young girl. Her voice was soft and sweet, but something about it was a bit off. Her voice sounded anxious and afraid like something was going to attack at any moment. As the strange events continued, the young couple became more worried. And after Debbie gave birth to their son Taylor, the demonic presence hated the fact that there were now two males in the house. And it was only a matter of time before the demon released its true potential. On the night of Halloween, during the first year that they lived in their house in 1992, Tony returned home from work late that night. It had been a long day, so he headed to the kitchen where he fixed himself a drink. As he picked up his drink and turned around, he noticed a young girl staring at him in the corner of the kitchen. She didn't say a word. She just looked at him with a blank stare. The drink slipped out of his hand and shattered on the kitchen floor. As soon as the glass broke, the apparition of the little girl vanished into thin air. Tony could hardly believe what he had just seen, but he knew his eyes weren't just playing tricks on him. He quickly ran up the stairs, screaming to Debbie, I saw her! I saw her! They had suspected that the ghost was a little girl, but this was the first time the Pickmans had actually seen her. Ever since they saw her, they had a mix of fear and excitement. They weren't sure how to feel exactly, but soon enough fear would be the only emotion in the Pickman's household. After they gave birth to their son Taylor, the strange activity focused around the nursery. The endless torment kept the baby up all night. Even after putting him down for the night and turning off the lights, they noticed the lights would always come back on. Debbie sensed that someone was in the nursery at night playing with her son. When she went in to check on him, He'd be alone in his crib, but the lights would be on. And when they would try to go to sleep, Taylor would scream and cry throughout the night. At first, they thought this was just regular behavior from a newborn baby. But as time went on, they suspected foul play. Strange events would occur in the nursery for no reason at all. Electronic toys would turn on and off at random moments. And one time, Debbie was vacuuming the nursery carpet when the wind-up musical toy above Taylor's crib began spinning around. On its own. Everything that happened was seemingly harmless, but once they found evidence of mold growing on random household objects in the nursery, they knew they had to do something. So they moved the nursery to another room because they didn't want to risk something terrible happening to Taylor. But even after switching rooms, the strange events continued happening. Not only did the activity become more frequent, but it became more violent. The days of simple lights flickering or objects moving were behind them, and the paranormal events became so intense that Tony and Debbie were convinced that there was a demon in the home. They didn't know if the young girl was the demon or if she had allowed a demon inside their home. Some suggest that the little girl's spirit was also a victim, and the demonic presence terrorized her the same way they terrorized Tony and Debbie. As the activities escalated, Tony and Debbie decided to spend the night at a family member's house. They packed their overnight bags, but as they headed out the door, Tony felt a small, burning sensation along his back. After only a few steps out of the door, that slight burning pain became a nightmare. 
It felt like licks of a flame whipped him over and over across the back. He had no idea what was happening or how to stop it, and luckily it didn't last long. But the aftermath was gruesome. After the attack ended, he lifted up his shirt and noticed three massive scratch marks across his skin. Blood bubbled from each wound. This was the first time that this demonic presence had ever made a physical attack against the family, and it wouldn't be the last. Tony would continue to feel the burning sensation across his skin at random moments, and later he would notice scratch marks appearing across his stomach, arms, chest, and back. He could even stare at his skin and watch the wounds slowly appear out of nowhere. The scratches made his skin swell and burst with small beads of blood, and he never knew what provoked the attack. Things are obviously getting worse and worse for the Pikmins, so they decide to contact a psychic medium. Find out what she had to say right after this ad break. So Tony Pikmin has been experiencing physical attacks by whatever this demonic entity is. And it got to a point where he decided, you know what, we need some more help, we need more answers. So they decided to contact a psychic medium by the name of Barbara Connors. They were clearly desperate to figure out what was happening in their home now that the paranormal activity had turned violent. They feared for the protection of not only themselves, but obviously their newborn son. When they talked to her on the phone, Barbara said she needed to visit the home for herself. She needed to personally feel the paranormal energy in the home, and it was the only way for her to clearly understand what was going on. So she came out to the home, and during her visit, she concluded that the ghost of a little girl named Sally inhabited their home. She was doing most of the haunting so she could get their attention. As Sally felt neglected and wanted the Pikmins to acknowledge her more often. Before Barbara left, she gave them one main piece of advice. To try their best to embrace Sally as their own daughter. And Barbara didn't believe that Sally was inherently evil. She also believed that they could live peacefully with Sally with a bit of love and acceptance. And as strange as this advice was, Tony and Debbie tried their very best to welcome Sally with open arms. They tried calling out to her and speaking with her. They tried to treat her like any other living girl, but Barbara's advice didn't work in the end. They tried to treat Sally as one of their own, but the demonic presence in their house rejected them. Scratch marks and welts kept appearing across Tony's body, and one night he was even yanked out of his bed. His body hit the floor, and when he got up to look around, the room was completely empty. In the morning, he pulled up his sleeve and noticed fingerprint-shaped burn marks all over his arm. He was surprised that the ghost of a little girl had the strength to pull him all the way out of bed. But when he thought about it a little more, he realized that maybe it wasn't the little girl after all. Maybe it was the strength of a much more powerful demon. As the violence in their home escalated, the Pikmins grew desperate. So they reached out to the producers of the show, Sightings paranormal documentary series. After the producers heard their stories, they brought a film crew to 508 North 2nd Street, hoping to figure out what was happening inside the house that potentially helped the family. The Pikmins initially wanted to remain anonymous, so they changed their names and blurred their faces for the program. They knew that the town they lived in was extremely religious, and they didn't know how the locals would respond to their family if they thought they were haunted by demons. 
The most that they could do is let the experts into their home in hopes of solving the paranormal mystery. So the producers of the show gathered several paranormal experts to investigate and figure out what was actually happening in the Sally house, hoping that the Pickmans could finally live in peace. When a psychic by the name Peter James first arrived at the house, the first thing he noticed was the face of a little girl in the second story window peering out at him. Once he got inside, he noticed the same little girl standing at the top of the stairs, and she told him her name was Sally. But as he continued his investigation through the house, he noticed the presence of something more demonic. There was something grim waiting in the dark shadows of the home. As Peter and Tony moved towards one of the upstairs bedrooms, Peter called out with a friendly voice, and they hoped a friendly voice would respond back, but they were quickly met with violence. Tony clutched at his shirt as he felt a sting of pain run across his back. Peter ducked behind the door as a spark of electricity shocked his wrist. After the short outburst, the presence seemed to calm down, and when Tony lifted his shirt, the letters M.C. had been scratched into his lower back, and they wondered if M.C. were the initials of the demonic spirit. Peter believed that the letters were undeniable evidence of more than one ghost in the house, other than Sally. They looked into the old records and found the names of the three members of the Finney family that had died in the home. Kate Finney died in 1918, James Finney died in 1900, and M.C. Finney died in 1872. They suspected that the spirit of M.C. Finney was also at work in the Sally house. This attack was one of many, and the film crew captured even more bizarre events in the home. Lights would flicker on and off as everyone gathered in the living room. Tony and Debbie also showed the crew a series of blurred or distorted photographs that they thought were ruined by the ghosts. The film crew also recorded cold spots, electromagnetism, and static electricity throughout the home. As they took a tour of the house, they also noticed the mysterious welts and scratches formed across Tony's arms, stomach, and forehead. And by the end of their first day of investigating, their paranormal specialist, Al Rober, thought he had a good idea of what was happening in the home. He concluded that it was most likely a poltergeist that terrorized the Pickmans. Not necessarily the ghost of the little girl Sally. Both spirits drew from the same energy, but they were two separate entities. Sometimes the poltergeist could embody the spirit of Sally to gain their trust, but it was only trickery. The poltergeist ended up lashing out more than usual because they were afraid and angry that the Pickmans allowed the film crew into the home. So in a way, their attempt at finding peace had backfired, but they felt it was the only way to figure out what was going on. The specialist's advice for the Pikmins was to remove the toys lying around the house. They needed to get rid of any encouragement that would draw the attention of the little girl or the poltergeist. Now that they identified what type of ghost they were dealing with, they were ready to investigate more thoroughly. The crew was so shocked by the initial attacks that the investigators returned to the house several more times. They converted the kitchen into their control center where they monitored the entire house for paranormal activity they also brought in paranormal expert, Carrie Gaynor, who had investigated over 850 paranormal cases. Ever since he had first heard about the Pickman story, he was very intrigued. They also brought in several electronic specialists and over half a million dollars in monitoring equipment. They set up remote control cameras, thermal imaging systems, and frequency counters throughout the house. If anything happened in the house, they hoped they'd pick it up with one of their devices. On one night, 
as Carrie Gaynor and the family performed a vigil in the living room. Investigators monitored the house for 14 hours. The Pickmans and some of the crew sat quietly in the living room and tried communicating with the spirits. During that time, Carrie said he had never encountered anything like it in his 20 years of paranormal investigations. They heard strange noises, and the oil lamps they had set up in the living room began to flicker, even though there was no draft in the house. When Tony called out to the spirit, they heard a low, rumbling noise. The sound was later analyzed by an audio specialist, Rick Wilson, who worked with the CIA and the FBI. And when he analyzed the sound, he ruled out that it came from an electronic device or a machine. He also ruled out that it couldn't have come from a human because the frequency was too low. His best guess was that it came from something magnetic, but he couldn't explain what. When the sound was analyzed by an electronic voice phenomenon specialist, Sarah Estep, she said that she had never heard anything like it, and she had studied noises from haunted houses for over 18 years, but she couldn't identify what it was. She could only guess that it sounded like an energy sound from the other side. Whatever it was, it had responded to Tony right after he called out to the ghost. And around the same time, the frequency counters in the hallway jumped from 399 to 575 megahertz. And the cameras that they had set up throughout the house lost connection at random moments throughout the night. And the monitors would turn black or distorted. The room where they believed that Dr. Charles Finney had performed the surgery on Sally often became freezing cold. But the most horrific response was violence. The demon had lashed out at Tony several times while they performed their vigil, and by the end of the night the demon attacked Tony 11 different times as he sat in the living room. Scratches and welts continued to form across his body, and he kept feeling a cold presence in front of him. Some of the scratches were thin, but others were thick and had bruising and blood around them. Carrie had monitored him the entire night so he would have seen if Tony had performed any sort of trickery on himself. And each time Tony got up to use the restroom, Carrie inspected him when he got back to make sure he wasn't scratching himself while in the bathroom. They couldn't explain why it was happening or how. From their experience, Carrie concluded that the spirit must have been a poltergeist without a doubt. Luckily, as the vigil continued, the demonic presence seemed to lessen throughout the night. And the attack stopped entirely by the next morning. And the household seemed like it was back to normal. After the crew left, the Pikmins didn't notice that much activity, and the demon had stopped attacking Tony. But their moment of peace wouldn't last long. A few months went by, and on their son's birthday, as the Pikmins sat around the dinner table, a stuffed doll burst into flames and nearly set the entire house on fire. By then, the Pikmins had lived in the home for two years, and this was it had had enough. After the episode of Sightings aired, many skeptics and critics claimed that Tony's scratches were either self-induced wounds or allergic reactions. They also asked why the Pikmins didn't just move out of the house. And as it turns out, that's exactly what they did. Not long after the film crew left their house, the Pikmins packed up their things and actually moved out. After two years of living there, Debbie was convinced that the spirit that haunted them wasn't the innocent girl Sally. It was a demon that had disguised himself. As Sally in order to gain their trust. And once the spirit had built up enough trust, it terrorized whoever lived in the home, especially men. After the Pikmins moved, the film crew returned to the house to see if the spirit was truly gone. 
When Peter James the psychic returned to the home, he felt the presence of Sally was gone. The house was barren. Sunlight came in through the windows and everything finally seemed normal. Only the wallpaper and carpet were left behind. With the house empty, the film crew set up their equipment and by nightfall they recorded more footage. At first they thought the paranormal energy had finally been purged from the home. But as darkness fell over the house, Peter began sensing a disturbance. Although it seemed like nothing was there when he first arrived, something crept into the house that night. As he called out to the spirit of Sally, Peter heard moaning in one of the bedrooms. Just after the moanings, a cold spot formed in the middle of the room, and it led him into the room that used to be the nursery. Cold spots appeared throughout the house even though there weren't any vents and all the windows were closed. Carrie Gaynor also returned to the home after the Pickmans moved out, hoping he'd have a fresh encounter with the paranormal entity. They swept the home for radiation, electromagnetic activity, temperature shifts, or carbon monoxide, but nothing unusual was discovered. Even though they didn't uncover anything during their visit, others were still drawn to the house. The owner of the house at the time, Lee Smith, a 20-year police veteran, wanted to see for himself. He had heard the stories but never believed that the house was haunted. Sure enough, when he wandered around the house, he felt electricity, cold spots, and paranormal energy that was on the verge of violence. Tony and Debbie Pickman also returned to the house months later, hoping they would put an end to the hauntings. They feared that the demonic energy would follow them to their next home, which was also in the same town of Atchison, Kansas. Many paranormal experts say that poltergeists have a habit of following their victims. So they called in a shaman to try and exorcise the spirit. They stood in a circle with the shaman as he performed the ceremony. Each of them held hands, forming a ring. The shaman warned that no matter what happened, they should never let go of each other's hands or the exorcism would fail. After only a few minutes into the ceremony, Debbie looked over at her husband and noticed he winced in pain. He squeezed her hand harder and harder as the pain became unbearable. But he remembered the shaman's warning. Do not break the circle. Tony began falling towards the floor in agony, but he never let go of their hands. A searing line of pain burned across his back one after the next. It felt like a demonic claw ripping into his flesh. He screamed out in agony and bent over towards the floor, but he held on. Several more minutes passed and several more claws sunk into his skin. When the ceremony finally ended, Tony took off his shirt, revealing 11 wounds across his upper back. Luckily, his determination seemed to pay off as there was no more violent attacks for the rest of the time they were in the house that day. The only time Tony was attacked again was when he returned to the house for an interview with Carrie Gaynor. As Carrie asked him about his experience with the poltergeist, a small cut appeared on the right side of his face near his lip. They believed that as long as the Pikmin stayed away from the house, the scratches wouldn't return. But Carrie Gaynor knew that poltergeists could follow the people that it haunted, so they kept an eye on the Pikmin family to make sure they weren't being followed to their new home. And as the episodes of Sightings aired, people from all over the nation became enthralled with the story of the Sally House, but many still weren't convinced. After all the vigils, tests, exorcisms, recordings, skeptics still believed that the scratches on Tony's body were a hoax. They suggested that the scratches had a medical explanation. So Carrie Gaynor looked into the condition known as dermatographism. It's a skin condition where a person can scratch themselves, but the scratches won't appear until 10 or 15 minutes later. 
Although Carrie admitted that this might have contributed to the swelling, he reminded skeptics that many of the scratches on Tony's body were bleeding at the time of the attack, and that a skin condition couldn't explain the blood. They also never addressed a possibly religious aspect to the hauntings, so the sighting show reached out to a Franciscan monk, Ed Anthony, and when they asked him about what he thought of the paranormal case, he didn't think there was any form of demonic possession going on. He suggested that a lost soul or spirit was trying to communicate with the living. He believed the spirit only wanted attention because the former tenants had refused to give it to them. When a spirit is ignored for so long, its last resort is to lash out and try and get the attention of the living. But their violence isn't meant to be an act of evil. The other religious aspect of the investigation was Tony's wounds, as many believe that his wounds were the manifestation of Christ's crucifixion. These wounds are called stigmata in the Christian tradition. Certain saints throughout the centuries have been impressed with the wounds of Christ's crucifixion, and many saw the similarities to Tony's mysterious wounds. In the same way that Christ was whipped across his back, Tony had similar lacerations. Father Ed Anthony explained that as far as the stigmata goes, he doesn't believe that's what happened to Tony. He explained that you have to look at the connection of the doctor and the death of the young girl. He believes the sins of the doctor have been passed through the generations and manifested themselves in the home. So the wounds on Tony might relate to the sins of Dr. Charles Finney being passed along since they were never forgiven. Others believe that the haunting of the Pickmans might be more psychological, and there's a common belief that spirits or paranormal entities don't just attach themselves to anyone. They only confront those that are more susceptible to being haunted. The more vulnerable or open someone is, the more likely a spirit will affect them. Through the story of Sally Isabel, there seems to be some connection between anger, violence, and father figures. Whether it is manifested through spiritual or psychological methods is a mystery still, but the violence and death of the past have held on for over a hundred years, and it continues to haunt the house on 508 North 2nd Street, Atchison, Kansas. The Sally House still stands today on the quiet street just a few blocks away from the Missouri River, and not much happens in the small suburb of Kansas but the house on North 2nd Street tells a different story. After the haunting of the Pickmans in the 90s, the dark energy still lingers inside the home. In the early 2000s, a pentagram was discovered drawn on the basement floor, and evidence of satanic rituals had been found on the property, but there are still no clues for when these rituals had taken place. Even a luminol test was done throughout the home, highlighting signs of blood spatter in the master bedroom closet, and a bloody sweater was found stuffed away in the attic. Many believe this could have been from another victim of the poltergeist, but no one knows the true story. Despite the paranormal activity that still haunts the house, many still visit the home and try to speak with Sally. They want to see her knock a doll off the shelf or turn off a light, but those that know the true horrors of the Sally house stay far away from it. The small, modest house can fool anyone. From the outside, it looks just like a regular house where a young couple can raise their children play with their dog in the backyard, or listen to their favorite podcast in peace. The house tricks people into believing it's just another regular house. Just like the demonic poltergeist can fool people into believing that it's just a harmless little girl named Sally. Paranormal experts, psychics, priests, shaman have done their best to understand the paranormal violence at the Sally house. But after everything, they've failed at purging the treacherous demon. From the moment Dr. Charles Finney sank a scalpel into that poor girl's stomach as she screamed in horror on the operating table, a 
supernatural force etched itself into the walls of the house, and as long as the home still stands, it will continue haunting its occupants forever. Wow, that's probably one of the most horrific origin stories for a haunted location I've ever heard. Definitely. So, so many things going on in this one and a lot of similarities to, you know, past haunting episodes we've covered. So, yeah. And that's where I'm like, for me, it's when there's so many other hauntings out there that have similarities. I'm like, how do you discount all of it as just bullshit? You know? Exactly. Like, fake, like, yeah, as a hoax, I get that there's people that hoax stuff out there for attention, but but that doesn't mean all of them do. No, like, and I mean we've no seen way. seen these types of marks on people too that are dealing with poltergeists and yeah. other types of spirits. I mean, my thing is some of those scratches were like on the like middle of his back. I'm uh-huh. Like, there's no way that somebody could go and scratch yourself right. all the way across your back, the entire width of your back, that hard multiple times. Mm-hmm. And that raises a big question if Tony's wounds were self-inflicted or not. And me personally, I I don't think they were self-inflicted. The only wounds that I felt were were the ones on his hands because that really did symbolize, you know, sin and the whole, you know, Jesus. Like crucifixion? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody would argue that, you know, poltergeist is sort of making fun at that. Mm-hmm. by causing wounds like that to appear but again i mean i definitely am a little bit more skeptical about that too because it's like you know how it's re- often it's, do you see that yeah and it's really tying into the religion aspect of it because it's, it's hard though because it's like if you discount that then you know you kind of have to discount all of it yeah it's hard to be like well why would he fake some of it but then not you know not fake other parts of it mm-hmm but I personally have experienced, you know, scratch wounds. I've talked about it on the show in the past when I was staying at yeah, your house. Yeah. But and, uh, you just wake up. My wife up. has had yeah. that happen too from us. And that's the thing is like some people say it's just a spirit trying to get your attention. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's something demonic, uh-huh. you know, that is, tr- that is trying to harm you. Yeah. It could just be like, Hey, I'm trying to like acknowledge my presence because I'm here. Mm hmm. But in this case, it's interesting because I think there is multiple spirits at play here, obviously. And I think it was interesting that they found, you know, there was the initials MC and then they looked back and there's MC Finney. So, yeah, it's very possible that, you know, there's a there's a, another spirit there that is looking for attention and is pissed because Sally's getting all the attention. Right. And therefore is trying to fight for attention of itself. So I don't know necessarily if I believe there's like an actual demon Mm-hmm. that is you know some sort of supernatural entity yeah. that is just there to wreak havoc and evil upon everybody well my thing with the demon is the family or you know that particular individual did like his symptoms stopped like the abuse stopped once that exorcism was performed on them so that does tie into the possibility of it being a demon and pulling back that whole religious aspect back into this, that if the exorcism did cure was a cure, then it's like, was it a demon or was it? I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe it was just happy to be acknowledged that they were literally doing a ceremony to rid, you know, to rid themselves of the demon. But it's like, you know, the spirits acknowledging, Oh, they're Mm -hmm. finally, finally paying attention to me. 
Yeah, right. Know. I mean, it's it's interesting though because there's a lot of very weird, weird things that happen. Um, there's there's instances where picture frames are flipped upside down, the dolls bursting into fires. Mm-hmm. Also concerning. Oh yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, a lot of it does does sound like poltergeist activity to me. So yeah. And you're telling me that the first night though that the paranormal investigators went in that they were able to capture all that activity right away. I feel personally that's rare. You yeah, know, because yeah. we see it all the time on paranormal shows with ghost adventures and stuff that they're not catching stuff crazy like that. Well, I think, and yeah, I mean, I think most of the times that they're dealing with just spirits that are, you know, that are not able to to cross the other side for some reason are just lingering uh, or attached in some way to these locations or objects. But I mean, a lot of the physical stuff in this one does make me lean towards potentially there there is even something more going on prior to even the Finneys getting there. I mean, there could have been more history or mm-hmm. burial. I mean, there could be something buried there. I mean, they said they found a pentagram. I mean, right, and that brings who, up, who knows? I mean, there, what that there's means, possibly but. rituals going on, and we've, maybe we've, somebody conjured something. Yeah, potentially somebody you know over the years decided to to you know try to summon a demon or something Mm -hmm. i mean there's always that possibility there and it must do something to the land of like you know a pinpoint for that energy to you know disperse from right right so that's just really interesting i mean all just all the physical movement and objects being moved or destroyed definitely definitely sounds like a textbook poltergeist case for sure i mean there's there's actually quite a bit of footage that paranormal investigators have captured of just objects being moved or like i said picture frames being flipped upside down footsteps being heard in the house and i mean i think it's just kind of a hot spot for paranormal activity Mm -hmm. really i mean i think there's just places where you know there's sort of gateways that are opened up or um you know you have enough spiritual energy residual energy left over from the deaths of multiple i mean you think about some of the most haunted places in the world and what are they like they're abandoned asylums. Mm-hmm. They're, they're places where there are old hospitals where yeah, pr- lots prisons, of, lo- prisons, oh, lots yeah. of people experience suffering and pain and anguish. All that negativity. Yeah, exactly. And the sort of that residual energy just sort of builds in that place. Mm-hmm. And, and it sort of translates into what we would perceive as a poltergeist, but ultimately may not be a poltergeist type of entity at all. It could just be, you know, a ton of energy just built up that it just, doesn't have anywhere yeah, to go so right, it just right. makes shit happen in this this reality or this this realm so it's it's a it's definitely an interesting one i mean it's still people i mean it's a big tourist attraction out there and yeah this little town in in kansas and one day i'd love to do like a paranormal road trip and just like yeah man go, we gotta around. go to this one like if we ever like my dream would be to do like a like a legit uh, ghost hunting tv yeah, show man. and like go to all these places and experience it firsthand for myself and, that'd be awesome like without the pressure of like yeah. making it super exciting like if nothing happens then oh well like that's just part of it but i want to go some i've been to a few haunted places but i've never been anywhere that's got this much uh-huh. activity or claims of a poltergeist or anything like that before so i'd be interested to just feel yeah. what it would be like to be in there and, definitely it'd be so much fun to shoot video with you and see if we capture some stuff yeah, that'd be that'd be the, <laughs> that'd be the dream. Yeah, Maybe one day we'll right. we'll see. But we want to know what your guys' thoughts are on this one. Do you believe it's a poltergeist? Do you think it's just the ghost of Sally? I mean, 
a lot of people claim that Sally never lived there. So the whole story of, of the appendix bursting and the mm-hmm. surgery happening may not even be, be true. That could just be purely legend, but let us know your thoughts on this one. Also let us know what other haunted locations you want to see us cover here on lights out and make sure you are following us on Spotify. That's the premier place to enjoy lights out. We're also on YouTube. So make sure you're subscribed over there, but that wraps it up for us today. We will see you guys next week. And until then, lights out, everybody.